Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, before I forget, follow our Twitter feed, at WDR Podcast, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes, because we've been good boys, and uh, if we sit out the podcast this week with nothing to talk about, I think that uh, we deserve it. So yeah, there is no game to talk about, because Tottenham have not played a game since our last podcast, thanks to a COVID-19 outbreak at uh, Hotspur Way. But uh, we are scheduled to play tomorrow. Um, scheduling sort of prohibits us from recording then. So we're recording tonight. We're taking your questions. We're talking about what's going on with the team. Let's start us off with uh, our friend from the slopes of Miami. It's Brian Ashlock. Brian, what is your favorite thing to happen to Tottenham Hotspur this week? Uh, we didn't lose. That's a great point. Conte's playing checkers, not chess. Yep. Haven't lost in a while, I guess. Went Murrah since Ennis Murrah. You know, the Which great doesn't really count. The great thing about Conte is we missed the weekend where the Premier League gave out dodgy penalties in every game. And I know how that would have turned out for Tottenham Hotspur. So, you know, Conte is really ahead of the curve here. So, literally in this case. Um, coming to us from uh, slightly north of Brian, it is Ben Daniels. Ben, uh, what was your favorite thing to happen with Tottenham Hotspur this week? Uh, my favorite thing is being able to look at the table and seeing those games in hand and just counting them as three points in my mind and looking at how high we are. It is. It's Again, Conte is just a mastermind. It's like we're going to play these games when this team actually knows what I want them to do. Uh, let's let's start there a little bit. We have a little bit of news to discuss, but I, let's just talk about Spurs' general situation in the table. Uh, putting aside COVID outbreaks and injuries and players we need to buy later this year and games in hand, we are shockingly close to the top four. I mean, not even the top four. We're shockingly close to third. It is, I, I don't know, I, I, I felt like we were further off when we fired Nuno. I guess that first month is doing a lot of the heavy lifting here uh, where we took all the points, but... I mean, credit to Daniel Levy, I guess, for acting before things got really like out of reach and not wasting any time. Because, I mean, Ben, you're the negative Nelly on this podcast. Like, I don't think top four is a reach for us at all, especially when you consider we got the two games in hand. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, looking at the two games in hand and assuming we win tomorrow, that's another nine points. And that puts us at 34, just two back at Chelsea. Um so we got so many injuries and there, I think tomorrow is a bit of a wild card game, but I grant your point. Uh, like, but Leicester also have injuries <laughs> and COVID and who knows what's going on there. But when it's does that ever, real... when does that ever work out for us? Ben? No, it doesn't. I mean, I think the thing is, is like Conte is currently on a 95 point season pace in his limited time here. And I don't think we're going to keep that up. Um, but... but if we do, yeah, I mean, <laughs> It's not too late to win the league. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't think we're going to keep up that pace. But uh, yeah, the game 
and really do mess with you, especially as we're going to get further and further into the season. And I also think we will eventually have more than two games in hand. Um, I don't think we're done seeing cancellations. Um, but yeah, uh, if, if those, I don't know when those games get played, presumably like March and April. And yeah, the, that would be, it's weird because everybody other than the top three has basically been really bad. Um, but we've all just managed to kind of cluster together in this area right around like 25 to 28, 29 points. Um, and, you know, like the teams that are there, like Arsenal, United, Spurs. And I don't I don't think objectively anyone can say either of those three teams have been particularly good at any point this year. Um, and, and we're at that level and we have two extra games to play. It's great. It's going to be fun. Ben, two questions. Uh, first, do you think we're going to finish in the top four this year? Second, who scares you the most as we, in terms of trying to make top four? Um, yes, I think we'll make top four. Um, you know, there's obviously things that could happen that would change my analysis but as it stands I, I like the direction we're heading and i don't love every anybody else um the person that scares me more most is is ralph rangnick at man U. um you know they're already looking better Jaden sancho is surprised turning out to be a very good player um when he has a manager that knows how to use him so by know how to I use think- him you mean Start him. Use him. Yeah, put him <laughs> on the pitch. <laughs> um, you know, there's obviously a lot of talent in that team. Um, and with a good coach at the helm, it's kind of like where we are, where they're not so far out of it that they can't turn it around. Um, and they're already showing signs of life. So I think it's going to be us and United shooting it out for, for fourth. But, I mean, right now it's like it's very much been like a three-tiered league where you have – City, Liverpool, and to a slightly lesser extent, Chelsea, who are just miles better than everybody else. And then, like, a few teams at the bottom in Newcastle, Norwich, Burnley, Watford, and then kind of everybody else has basically been the same with a few good runs here and there. Um, so, you know, there's still there's still a lot of opportunity. Yeah, I'm with Ben. I think, I think that's exactly right. I think uh, I think we are probably the most likely out of that group to uh, get to fourth. And United is the team that scares me the most. They are, they have the most money, they have the most talent, and now they have uh, a manager that is, you know, if not like a great manager, at least understands, you know, football and and squad building and that sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, maybe if his, his managerial CV and it, it is not the, as polished as, you know, Antonio Conte's, you at least have some confidence that if United are going to throw some weight around in January, they're going to be identifying players and, and building a squad and a system that, that actually makes some sort of coherent sense. Um, so I think they, they worry me a little, I, and I, Honestly, as much as it pains me to admit, I think West Ham are actually also good. Um, Can't drop points to a mid-table side like they did today, though. Yeah, t- yeah. Um, I mean, you know, yeah, they were not Arsenal. good against Arsenal, like not good at all. 
Yeah. I, but, you know, they're, they're not that this is going to help them, but they're getting linked with uh, buying Eden Hazard from Real Madrid. Um, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like sad. a shot stopping goalkeeper. They're just going to park yeah. him in front of the in front of the goal. Yep, like, yep, that's exactly what they'll use him for. Just cover like one small corner on the one side with him and his large ass. Um <laughs> I don't know. I just uh, I I think they're interesting. Like and and David Moyes has done a good job, and I think like over the course of the last you know calendar year of the teams that are fighting for this position, like West Ham have been like the best team over over that period of time. So I'm just interested to see if they can continue to put it together. But, you know, they don't have a very deep squad. If they make it run into the Europa League, who knows what that, that does to them. Um, but it, they they could be there, thereabouts at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with West Ham, like you said, is they're not deep and they've been very healthy so far. And suddenly they lost Agbana for the season. Kurt Zuma's hurt. Uh, Creswell's hurt. Like, it's just... Once they've started to suffer a few injuries, they had, you know, a disappointing draw at Burnley, and then they got their asses kicked by Arsenal. And you can see just a couple fitness problems have the capacity to derail them in a way that, you know, Man U does not suffer from. Well, I mean, um, this, I goes, think, this, this goes to your point, Ben, and maybe I'm being unfair to West Ham, but they've always felt like a team that, like, to sustain this run of form, they just need, they need so much to go right. And they've been pretty lucky that, you know, both with, like, injuries and play and players being in form and some of the teams they're up against if we're, if we're being a little unkind to them. And, you know, I think um, you're starting to see that wither a little bit. And it's, you know, may, again, maybe I'm being unfair to West Ham because I think Moyes has done a good job there. But I don't know. It feels like they're, they're, they're not getting as many breaks as they had been. Yeah, they look like at the very least they're going to be like Leicester of the last couple of years who just run out of steam down the stretch you know, for all those reasons. And they're also, between us, United, and West Ham, they're the least likely to spread a lot of cash around in January to reinforce the squad. Um, you know, we're already signaling that we're going to spend for Conte. I'm sure Man U's going to spend, you know, I don't know how much <laughs> in Hazard and his gigantic ass is going to help. You really, you really think the lockdown in Britain is going to uh, affect the dildo market that much and West Ham won't be able to uh, reinforce the squad? Well, that's true. If they do go into lockdown, the dildo sales should go through the roof. <laughs> and that would be really, really big for West Ham's transfer budget. So, I mean, yeah, it hasn't been really that long. It hasn't been that long since the last lockdown. Do you, would you really need to refresh the supply? You know, you're locked inside. They wear out fast. <laughs> I mean, surely batteries would be more important than anything. <laughs> so I hope they've vertically so integrated <laughs> to get the whole, yeah, the whole process. Right. I was about to say, so good news for the Philadelphia Union, I guess. Like, if Santa's yeah. in town, like, they can just collect them. Uh, that's a joke for American sports fans. There Maybe, we go. kind of, sort of. Um, it's funny, because I really think, to kind of go back a, a second, the thing that's gonna, <laughs> yeah, let's get let's get off the dildo train for a moment. <laughs> back to Manu. We'll we'll leave the dildos aside for now. Uh, Just put them in the drawer beside the, the bed drawer. where they belong. No, but it really feels like if we do end up <laughs> finishing ahead of Manu, it's going to be because we pulled the trigger on Nuno yes. slightly faster than Ole. You know, while they were getting waxed by Watford, we were starting to put points together. 
and, you know, gel the team a little bit. And they're, you know, just a couple points behind in the table is probably how it's going to end. And who even knows, like the fact that we pulled the trigger on a permanent manager even might make a difference because, I mean, they're united. They got money to burn. So if they have to go buy a player who might not fit with the next manager, they'll probably just do it. But, you know, my guess is Spurs might have a little more confidence moving in the transfer market because they're not going to be wondering, like, well, how's he fit in next year? You know, like we're going to we're going to know how we want him to fit in next year. Like, that's not a problem at Tottenham. Now, again, United have enough money where they might not fucking matter, but. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think, one, I don't think that matters for United because when has that ever mattered for them? Uh, and then, two, I mean, the idea for them, I believe, is that Ragnick sticks around and, you know, chooses his successor. I'm, I'm pretty sure Ragnick is getting an introduction to England so he can get his next job. I'm I'm, I'm guessing he's not going to be, unless he has a really good season. Oh, I, don't, I think his, his goal is to move upstairs and, like, you know. Oh, I disagree. Run, run I think, behind the scenes. He, I think it's, he's, he's a viable candidate. I think he'll be a viable candidate for Premier League for a Premier League permanent Premier League manager job after this in a way that people well, won't be as skeptical he, he as they were. He doesn't want to be a manager. That's yeah, the whole he doesn't. Thing. He, doesn't he want wants to, to run a club. Like he's yeah. been. That's what he was doing at the Red Bull organization. You know, that seems to be where he is. I mean, he's old. You know, he is. He is moving into the twilight of his career, and I think he would much rather be a puppet mm. master somewhere than the guy on the touchline. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. United <laughs> United is a concerning United is a concerning team to have in your rear view, but I don't know. Like I, it's maybe because I just haven't watched a lot of Ragnet coach teams, or I'm not like big into the Bundesliga. Um, you know, I'm not um, that afraid of them, but no one's really scared of Arsenal. Um, you know, except maybe Ben from like a karma point of view. <laughs> I think I'm scared of them from a karma point of view, but I think I'm also scared of, you know, us not getting any shots against Leicester who have zero fit defenders for tomorrow. Like, I don't know. Like, uh, karma just always comes for Spurs. But but in terms of Arsenal, I think at a certain point, I, and probably Spurs fans in general, have to come to terms with what sort of manager Mikel Arteta is. I think by and large... Well, I know that I don't take him seriously as a coach, uh, and I guess he's got Arsenal in fourth place at the time of recording, so maybe he knows what he's doing. I, I don't know. I, I just, like, this Arsenal squad is not, to me, appreciably different than any of the real, the past couple of seasons Arsenal teams that we've seen. Like, Arteta is going with some of the younger players. He is giving some of those guys more rope. But, like, those are the types of players that, as the season wears on, tend to, um, you know, wear down, break down, tend to lose form or lose confidence. Like, he doesn't have a, a lot of good, experienced performers available to him in the way that, you know, uh, Spurs or West Ham or or United do. Uh, I mean, his, his real key players are, you know, Saka, Smith Rowe, um, you know, I guess Martinelli can't stay fit. Um, you know, he just stripped Obama Yang of the captaincy. Like, I, I just don't know what Arsenal's kind of best case scenario for 
the entire season is. Like, they're fine yeah. right now. I mean, I think their best case scenario is Aubameyang has been terrible and some falling out behind the scenes that led to him being stripped of the captaincy might be the thing that they needed to actually become good by getting him off the pitch. Um, because the last two matches without him have been are probably the two best matches they've had all season, um, you know, coming off of a loss to a really terrible Everton side um, just a few weeks ago. You God, know? That so was like, funny. That was so funny. You know, there is there is some talent in that group of like Odegaard, Smith Rowe, Martinelli, and Saka, and like if they push on and don't, like you said, are are just like in a in a run of of good form for a young player who are going to burn out by the end of the season. You know, it could be the blessing that they need to actually become a good side. Um, I hope that's not the case because I still don't think Arteta is a good manager, and I don't want to have to admit that I'm wrong. Uh, <laughs> That's really my most important motivator here. Arsenal I mean, always feels like they're teetering on the edge of a cliff to me. Like even when they're doing well, it's like I feel like they're always like this close to a like five game winless stretch. I, I mean, it's it, I don't know if that's because he's built this incredibly strange roster that like never feels very sturdy, or if it's just they're not that good. But I don't know. Ar- Arsenal always feels like they're about to fall off a cliff. To me. And maybe that's me. Yeah. Maybe that's wishful thinking. I don't know. I mean, especially because they keep like vacillating between being like objectively terrible and like having a run of bad performances to like maybe convincing you that like they finally put it together. And I really have no idea which of them is more likely to stick. It seems like they're just going to ride this roller coaster of hot and cold periods and finish an eighth again. Like that's probably where it's going to all go. But who the fuck knows? Yeah, I, I just I can't take them seriously yet. I, I I mean, Arteta won a trophy, like great for him and everything, but like I, I he just doesn't have a track record yet that I can look at and say, you know, this is sustainable. This is this is he has a style. This is he has a man management capabilities. Like anything, I'm just I I I can't see how to predict this team. I mean, it still feels like he's living off the sort of, I don't know, his image or the narrative that he presents as opposed to like anything he's actually doing on the pitch. Like, I mean, he's better than Nuno. I'll like give him credit for that because he keeps it together at least in such a way they never like collapse the way we were collapsing, but, or felt like we were collapsing. But you know, it feels like it's just like they're clinging to this idea of what kind of manager he's going to become. And they're just telling themselves, like, well, Fergie took three years to really succeed at United. And, like, I don't know. I don't see it. I don't see it at all. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's just a series of, of false dawns because so far that's been a comfortable story. And it's funny to see them get their hopes up and then see those hopes get dashed repeatedly. So. That's definitely what I'm rooting for. Yeah, I think that's the best best case scenario. And then, you know, maybe maybe Arteta goes to Everton and has a lot of success as their manager. I think that would be particularly funny. Let's not get carried away. Everton being successful. Like let's not get let's not well, get ridiculous. successful for Everton. Success. But, you know, so a so sixth place finish. So I was about to say tenth place finish then, so uh, so let's talk a little bit about um, 
some of the news that came out of Spurs this week. Because despite the fact that there are no games, some stuff did happen. It sounds like Tottenham are about to let uh, Bergvine and Deli Alley leave the club. Uh, let's start with Bergvine because I think it'll be a shorter conversation. I mean, I don't think his failure to launch at Spurs is entirely his fault. Uh, you know, I think Mourinho is not the best player to, to get the most out of a young attacking player in the year of our Lord 2019. But, I mean, I don't know if it's because he can't stay fit or he's just not a good fit for England or a team at Spurs level. But it just, it feels like we're spinning our wheels with him. And we're at the point, we've talked about it on this podcast, like if Conte thinks that a guy's not, you know, good enough, then it is what it is. And, you know, I, I'm kind of, you know, I'd like to see Steve succeed, but it's also like, you know, if Conte doesn't think he's good enough, it really is fine. Um, I'll take the money and reinvest it in the, in the summer. Or in the winter, even. We don't even have to wait till the summer. I just don't know what role he fills for Spurs under Conte, and I don't really know what role he filled for Spurs before. I mean, we spent a lot of money on him for him to be, like, sort of a super sub. And aside from, like, his debut against City... I don't think he ever really did much as a substitute. Um, and so I, I, I just don't see how he fits in this team. And then, you know, the, the Mourinho thing, I think, is a, is has a huge impact on this because he sure seemed like in the preseason, like someone who was absolutely bereft of confidence. And, you know, there was there was lots of talk. And, and social media stuff around him, like the, the team trying to get him to get his confidence back. And, you know, him, he, he had a couple of preseason games where he took quite a few shots and they didn't result in goals. And then when he finally did score in a preseason match, like it was a whole thing. And it just never really carried over into the season. And I, I don't have a lot of faith that, you know, he was going to get much run with Conte and, and that he was going to find a, a role that really suited him. So, you know, if we can get something for him or we can, you know, loan him out for half a season back to, you know, the, the Dutch league and he plays well, gets a run of matches. And, you know, if he goes to Ajax, I mean, Ajax is having a great run in the Champions League. So maybe he gets to do some fun stuff, play for a good team. And we can see what he would have looked like under, a, a, you know, Eric Ten Hag if we'd have hired him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it'll be good for Steve. And then maybe eventually it'll be good for us because we'll make some money. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he is now 24 years old. When we bought him, he was a promising 21-year-old, you know, who had demonstrated a lot of different skills in, in the Netherlands. And, you know, that's a guy that was like, yeah, it was smart to buy him. He did a lot of things pretty well. Um and, you know, I think we were banking on him having time to develop into a guy who excels at any one of those things. And for various reasons, that just was not able to happen. And he missed very crucial development years. And now we've got a 24-year-old who is pretty good at several things. And it's just not enough. Like, we've already brought Brian Heal to basically be that same kind of person, you know? And if someone's going to get those substitute minutes to develop and see what they can turn into, that's the guy who we should be betting on because he has a lot more time to develop into something. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm perfectly fine with with selling Steve and reinvesting in it. I wish it had worked out better 
for him and for us because I like him a lot as a person, as a player. Like, he seems like a good egg, but, you know, unless, you know, tomorrow he's probably going to start given all the COVID problems, unless he shows something really spectacular, I think this is probably the end of the road for him. Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, like you said, you have Brian Heal who who fills essentially the same role, and then, you know, Spurs also bought over the summer uh, Saar from Mets, who is a you know a versatile player that can play sort of centrally, can play on the attacking wing, uh, can do all sorts of stuff, and he's also 18 right now. Um, you've got a lot of players now that are more projectable, that are more moldable, and don't have the injury history that Steve has at this point. And it's just, you know, I, I think there were probably when we bought him questions about whether this was too much of a step up, um, you know, given where he was at PSV and what he'd been doing there. So, so I don't know. I don't know if he wasn't ever good enough for us or if he just kind of got robbed by the circumstances and the managers and what have you, but um, maybe this just wasn't his level. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure he'll be very successful at a, a no, any number of other clubs, but it just wasn't going to be here. So that brings us on to what I think felt like a bit of an inevitability, which was Delhi. Um, I, I think it became pretty clear pretty quickly under Conte that, um, you know, Delhi just wasn't going to find himself in favor, which I think is a real shame because, I mean, if you look back at what happened with Delhi, it was, you know, he got, he had a really good first like month or so under Mourinho. He got hurt after a year of injury problems and he was, you know, I don't know if it was injuries or Mourinho just sapped his confidence or if, or what, but you know, he, just never sort of got it back. And I think we were all hoping it was just Mourinho beating him down. And if you got him away from him, you know, it would, it would work out. But, you know, even though he was getting a run under Nuno, that kind of vanished very quickly. It's just, it's a shame. Like, you know, Delhi's a guy you wanted to see progress at Spurs. If he was going to leave, you wanted to see him leave like a moderate or a bail where he outgrew us as opposed to whatever this is. I mean, again, it's, it's, it sucks. I think there's probably other stuff going on, but you know that's three managers in a row who have decided Delhi's not good enough to start for Spurs. And at this point, you got to assume there's something to something to that, whatever that is. I mean, first of all, you don't you don't have to count the opinions of Jose Mourinho or Nuno. For that's fair. Like, that's we fair. We do it with people we we do like. We don't have to do it with people we think are actually a problem. But you know, I mean, you're right that. For good or ill, Conte has not chosen him to fill a particular tactical role in his setup. You know, he just doesn't fit with the way we're playing, the system we're playing, um, as well as some of the other guys on the squad. And at this point in Delhi's career, he he can't waste another year at Spurs. You know, he's going to be 26 this spring. Like, he is not young anymore. Um you know, I think there is obviously a talented player. Unlike Bergvine, we know what Delhi is capable of at his best. We know how good he can be. And if it's not going to happen for him at Spurs, which is, looks like it's not, you know, I, I, I want him to go be good somewhere else. And I will be very, very sad yes. when that happens because I think it will happen. But it's just, just well, probably not going to happen here. What worries me is, like, I feel like he needs to go to the right team and I am scared skeptical 
the right kinds of teams are going to want to take a risk on him. Like the big team he's being linked with, with a loan offer and they want a loan to buy if they stay up as Newcastle. And I, I mean, you guys tell me if I'm wrong about this. My gut reaction is that's not a team he's going to thrive in. Uh, I mean, they, they don't control possession. They don't get a lot of the ball. Maybe he'll thrive just because he's given license to sort of do what he wants. But I, that doesn't feel to me like the kind of team that Delhi's going to resurrect his career on. I think the real problem is I don't know what Delhi's best position is. It, he's been such a tweener lately and you know like where he really made hay for Spurs was being this sort of second striker playing off of Harry Kane and you know getting goals and uh and you know playing little sort of intricate passes interplay stuff with Kane and Son and I just don't know that that position is really utilized by that, like he had really kind of a lot of license to move all over, and and so many teams play such a much more rigid possession structure now that I don't know how he sort of fits into that. And we saw Nuno try to play him deeper uh, in midfield, and it just didn't quite work the way it used to when he was, you know, playing for MK Dons. And so I, I just. I don't know where he's going to fit in wherever he goes. I mean, you know what he, he he's kind of at the point of in his career where he feels like someone that Everton would buy for some stupid amount of oh, money. Brian, I thought I was being too mean. No, I just, but it's just like, you know, like what is Delhi's not, what, what is he going to do in a, for a relegation threatened Newcastle team? Like, you know, he's not, he's no longer, um, someone who is creating chances. Um, he's never been a great passer of the ball. Uh, he doesn't really like dribble guys. Um, and he doesn't really progress the ball. So what what he does, like his skills are pressing, pressure, and, you know, popping up kind of right place, right time sort of stuff to, to score goals. And the latter certainly would be useful to Newcastle, but I don't know how, like, can they carry a, a player who doesn't contribute any at all to, to progressing the ball? That's not an outlet. That's not, you know, any sort of having any sort of creative impact on their attack. I, I don't know. I mean, like, you can kind of squint and see something that makes sense with Newcastle, you know, where he plays off of Callum Wilson and Sam Maximin does the creative shit and like, you know, let them kind of just run on the counterattack. But, like like you said, they don't have, like, a strong enough base behind them to hold the ball, move the ball, you know, defend counters back, you know, any of the things that you would want a good counterattacking setup to be able to do, they're just not good at. And, like, that's why they're just abjectly terrible. So, you know, I think they're going to spend money in January because – Going down is not really uh, going to be a good look for the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, um, even though I don't think there's any amount of money that's going to keep that from happening. Um, they'll probably try to stay up. And, like, you put in a couple, you know, a good center back, a good midfielder behind Delhi, you can kind of see something that might work. It's like that's a sad end to Delhi's top flight career if, if he goes down with fucking the Saudi Newcastle project, but 
you know, I can see them thinking it might work. Um, you know, I, we've seen guys like like him, like a Connor Gallagher thriving at Crystal Palace right now, who plays in midfield nominally, doesn't really do a lot of passing. You know, he kind of just works hard, finds space, takes shots, you know, interplays with the strikers a little bit. Like, that's what Delhi was good at at his best. And it's like, you know, we Connor Gallagher was at West Brom last year and was not this version of Connor Gallagher because they were a much worse team and had a much worse manager. And, you know, it, it you're right that it takes a particular kind of system and coach to kind of realize how to get the best out of Delhi. And it's hard to come by, but... It, it exists. It can't exist in, in a mid-table side. I would be interested to see him go abroad, actually. Like, you know, what would he look like in a Bundesliga team where his job is to run and press and harry and, you know, create opportunities on the counterattack and then hustle and get in the box? Um, because, you know, look, Delhi gets maligned for being sort of kind of a luxury player, but I think... What most Spurs fans know is, you know, he's actually very hardworking. He actually does a lot of the dirty work. He's uh, a very good shithouser. Like, like Delhi, I don't think Delhi is averse to to going to a side that requires him to to run a lot and press a lot and do those sorts of things. But I think he also has to be granted some license within those systems. And and certainly, you know, the the style of play in 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 Germany and in France to a lesser extent um, would certainly coincide with that skill set. I just don't know that he's um, willing to, to move those places. I'm not sure about that. I mean, he was, I mean, obviously Pochettino is there, so it's different, but PSG wanted him and he wanted to go last year. It's just, you know, is there I don't a think team? It's happening now? Yeah, no, I don't think so either. Um, and I'm, I still question if that would have been a good move for him because how much, time would he have gotten on the pitch but you know like I just not sure if I could see the kind of Bundesliga teams that would realistically be able to use him taking him or the French team so that's that's where it's an issue I mean someone needs to think creatively with him and I'm you know I'm not sure we're going to see that and I mean look personally just from you know for the benefit of Tottenham Hotspur it, it'd be great if he goes to Newcastle and we they loan him to buy and we shove a all right if you stay up then he's 40 million pounds like that'd be great because we're not going to get that for him on the open market so maybe selling him to Newcastle a team desperate for players with name recognition and players with star quality maybe that works out um you know but I mean they've been linked I, with with Botman and um, Trippier and Deli Alley. I mean, it is a real, like, rando FIFA list, FIFA career mode list of transfers from them right now. Well, it's also like you've been linked with Philippe Coutinho, and, you know, would you rather Coutinho or Deli Alley? And, like, maybe, like, your manager would rather Deli Alley, but if you're trying to sell kits, you probably would rather Coutinho. Yeah, I mean, I think we all wish Delhi the best, but, I mean, Ben, do you have any final thoughts on this? No, just it's going to be interesting to see what kind of weird Frankenstein team Newcastle puts together in January between, you know, aging stars and, you know, reclamation projects and, you know, whatever weirdos they can find from from other leagues. Well, I'm just uh, interested to see if they actually spend. Like, so we keep hearing about it, but at the same time, we also keep seeing what a bunch of morons they are. So, like... 
are they going to be able to assemble anything? I mean, you know, like, can they get a play? Like, honestly, I'd be, I, I think he's like wildly overrated right now, but like, can they get Trippier? Like, if I'm Trippier, I don't want to go there. He can get, I mean, he can get a better transfer than that, even if he just wants to come back to England. I mean, he can get, maybe he can't make more money than that, but he can make a lot of money and go to a team that isn't Newcastle. I guess my question is, is who is their Rubinho? You know, like who is the first domino? Not, not, not for that reason, but like who is the first kind of like big name domino that 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 comes and joins? Uh, that Harry team? Winks. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I don't think that quite qualifies. <laughs> um, but you know, like because when City first got money, like they bought players like Rubinho and Joe and I don't know. Uh, you know, like did they like? Wasn't Rubinho like a couple years down the line? Weren't they buying like Alano and? Well, I guess it depends yeah. on which oligarch you want to start at with City. So. Right, right. They had their tie regime first. That is true, but it's just like with with Newcastle. It's just like who who's going to be that the the first domino to fall, and like are big name players going to come? just because you give them a lot of money. I know that money is obviously a huge motivating factor, but, like, how much are some of these uh, fringy guys at bigger clubs going to care about having to be in a relegation fight? How much are they going to care about not being in the Champions League for at least the next season and a half? How much are they going to care about, you know, not playing in Europe at all? Like, Like, there's a lot of interesting decision factors here, that 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 I I am curious to see how they play out. Of course, if they back up a truckload of money for all these players, it's not really going to matter. See, I think that's the thing that people keep overlooking. I mean, yes, if they back up truckloads of money, they like are going to sign players. But like, especially since like what 2010 to that probably 2008 on, I mean, City was a very professionally run club. Like they made their mistakes and they did some dumb things and they had growing pains. But like, I mean, I think you can tell that was a professional club, and I. And, like, I mean, you guys probably remember this better than I do, but not a club flirting with relegation. I, I, again, like I've said this before, but, like, I think what you see with City and to a lesser extent PSG has everyone convinced that, like, just because the Saudis have a lot of money and they're Arab that, you know, they're going to run this in the way City gets run or even PSG gets run. And I think, you know... I think City might be more of an outlier than people realize. I think they might have their act together in a way that it doesn't seem to me the Saudis have, at least right now. And I think, oh, yeah, there it is. There's the mute. There's no, the mute. just kept talking. No one had said anything. Uh, <laughs> all I was going to say was uh, I just think that all the decisions that Newcastle have made have point us in the direction that they are not the next Manchester City. Like, they, they, yes. they do not have that sort of forward-thinking or, 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 or professional outlook on this. Like, they hired a manager before they hired a director of football. They still don't have a director of football. They're just kind of casting about for whatever big name without regard to structure or or or, or need or whatever. Like, I... So, yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, I can see why Deli Alley might end up there because that's a guy whose career's been on the skids. He needs minutes. He's like, there's a little bit of desperation around Deli, which is sad, but it's true. A guy like Trippier or Botman, someone who's got, like, prospects, like, why, like, kind of, like, I understand money's money, and that is a big factor, 
But, you know, as we saw with, like, when we tried to sign, like, Pal Torres from uh, Villarreal this summer, like, you know, we were offering him more money than Villarreal, and he realized, like, well, I could hang out at Villarreal, be in the Champions League, be at a team that I like in my home country, and I can probably get a transfer to a better team if I wait a year. And I think that's going to be a huge problem for Newcastle. But this isn't a Newcastle podcast, so why don't we move on? I think we all wish Delhi the best, though. Hopefully somewhere other than Newcastle. Um, yeah, so we talked about the COVID stuff last week, but the fixture list has become a little bit more congested in the, in the week since, uh, the game with Wren will be played at question marks, if at all. Um, you know, we at Spurs obviously have two league games in hand to make up, uh, apparently between Spurs trying to make time for Wren and recovering from COVID and Leicester's COVID issues, like both teams requested this Thursday's game to be canceled, which it wasn't. I mean... Brian, the Fisher list is going to get real ugly real fast, right? Like, I mean, across the Premier League? Uh, I mean, ugly in terms of, yeah, we're definitely going to be seeing a lot more cancellations and rescheduled matches. Um, I mean, what uh, you the the Watford-Burnley match today was canceled, right? Um, you had uh, matches over the weekend that didn't go forward. Um, but the league tried to put their foot down and be like, we're not canceling any more matches, guys, and... Lo and behold, we had to cancel one today, like you said. Yeah. I, Man, U, Man U apparently announced they have 19 positive cases today after their game against Brentford was canceled yesterday. Well, that'll be as bad as it gets, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just ripping through teams right now. I mean, I think we're probably headed for, like, a two-week league-wide break at some point. Like or a ten day break or something like uh, I everything the, keeps turning up Conte. Yeah, and we have one in January. Like there is a scheduled break in January right now, and the question is going to be, is that going to be when the break is, or is the break going to be now, and all the games are going to have to be made up in January during that two week period because everybody got COVID in December. Um, yeah, you know that's a real mess. I think for us personally, like. We're probably going to end up forfeiting the Ren match is what it looks like. Um, all of our proposed fixture rescheduled dates have been rejected. So I did once see eliminated I, from the conference league. We're going to have all those midweek game slots open for, for makeup games. So it's not gonna be too bad for us. I, I did. I saw, I can't remember who put this on Twitter or else I give them credit, but they, they made the point that, uh, you know, I think every Spurs fan was like fine bowing out of the conference league. And then Ren has been have been such a bunch of assholes about it since the game got canceled that I think a lot of Spurs fans just want to play the game now just to beat him out of spite. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it it does it. It looks like it would make a lot of sense to not be in Europe right now, especially in a dinky competition like the Conference League. I, I mean, it's going to be a mess for the rest of the year, and having those extra weeks wouldn't hurt. I wonder how impactful like this extra time will actually be for the team and for Conte because training has been so disrupted by who is and isn't available. Uh, I mean, certainly look at any, you know, additional rest that Harry Kane is able to get is great. Any additional rest for Hoiberg is great. Regular, regular, you know, but I, I, 
we're all talking about how, you know, oh, this is great for 4D chess from Conte, getting all these games moved <laughs> to the end of the season when we're more. But it's just like, how, how how actually useful has all this time been? I mean, you know, over the weekend, the training ground was closed. People were uh, training from home. They were, you know, doing individual regime type stuff. Like, I, I just... This is I, I we're we're moving very rapidly towards you know something that is going to happen in England whether it's a lockdown whether it's a a break from all these sporting events whatever I mean other European countries are already putting matches back behind closed doors I think uh, based on what the government in the UK is like right now um, they they're going to be very resistant to that uh, but the the numbers. Are, are are just getting worse uh and so uh, we have to be heading in that direction i don't think anybody's gonna do shit yeah i, I mean, mean that would seem very likely right like that that would but you know common sense would dictate they should do something yeah common yeah, sense sure. like we saw that well no i mean we saw it last week we could see how angry conte was at that press conference when like spurs wanted to shut down their training facility for a couple days to like cut off the outbreak and UEFA would not budge. And it's, you know, the premier league was at least more reasonable at first, but like the way they put their foot down and said, we are not rescheduling any games. I mean, you have both teams in this Spurs Leicester match didn't want to play and have very legitimate COVID issues. Although, you know, like admittedly they could probably scrounge up rosters that aren't like an under 23 squad, which Spurs actually couldn't do because they have an outbreak on their under 23 squad. But it's just, you know, like, the, I don't know if it's money or just like they, they don't want to establish precedence or they're just worried about things getting messy later on. I mean, if I was the leagues, like nip this shit in the bud now and you can figure it out later, this shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, I mean, I think that they recognize rightly that if they start canceling games, they're going to have to keep canceling games and rescheduling everything is going to be a, a logistical nightmare. And they'd rather just say suck it up you know if you can stick 11 guys out there you have to because they don't want to deal with it and you're right if they just like put everything on pause you know let teams isolate let this burn itself out a little bit but yeah they're not going to so yeah we're gonna try and live through hell again i mean fortunately it seems like this outbreak isn't as dangerous as previous ones so it's you know, it's still still worth being safe about, but hopefully this thing passes through the population and, you know, we're talking about relatively fewer people hurt, but I don't know. We're all pretty numb to this at this point, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, so we'll, we'll find out what happens with Spurs. I mean, I, I think, you know, we've got a Spurs team. I don't think we have a clear idea. You guys correct me if I'm wrong. We don't have a real clear idea who's playing, who's fit to play. LaCelso um, is. LaCelso's fit. I think... Romero and uh, or um, Royale and uh, uh, Brian are bench worthy, but like we don't know who else has been sick for the last week. So, I mean, we'll see, but it's going to be interesting. And apparently, you know, Lester doesn't have any healthy center back, so it'd be nice if we could take advantage of that. Maybe you know, rack up a few on them. But I have no idea. It's going to be a weird game tomorrow, and uh, hopefully, everyone stays safe. So. We'll definitely have zero shots. <laughs> All right, Brian. Let's 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 you know don't, don't don't steal Ben's bit. So, does Harry Kane have COVID? 
are we that lucky or unlucky? I don't know what it would be at this point. Like, what does he deserve versus what do we deserve? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. We will find out. Uh, we've talked for a lot longer than I thought we would, fellas. But let's do a couple quick questions from our lovely listeners um, before we go. Uh, I thought this would occupy more of the show, but you know, we like to hear ourselves talk on Wheeler Dealer Radio. Uh, Eric Cromwell. Um, you know, that's a good, interesting name for an English football podcast. Uh, he wants to know whose cookbook would be worse, Delhi's or Charlie Kane's? What do we know about Charlie Kane's dining? And All I know is that is a guy who uh, you would probably think has more of a baby mouth than me, Ben. I mean, we know uh, that he that is a man. Martinis. That is a man who thinks ketchup is a spice. Yeah, I can't imagine he has a sophisticated palate, but I imagine he likes to think he has a sophisticated palate. He, I and mean, that is a man who thinks a fancy dinner is eating fries on his motorcycle, so. Excuse me, they call them chips there. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> chips on his mota. Um. <laughs> yep, sure. Why not? I don't know. Deli's is going to be very basic stuff, obviously, right? Beans. Like, you just made beans for the first time a few years ago. So it's going to be like, Deli's going to be like, scrambled eggs, beans. Scrambled eggs. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Calm down, Brian. Come on. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think these are very similar similar folks in that they are probably not culinary wizards and are used to a very similar diet of English staples. But I like to think... Charlie fancies himself as a more sophisticated gentleman. And so his cookbook would be a definitely like nightmare scenario of trying to upscale, you know, Yorkshire puddings and I don't names bangers and mash. I don't know what, what the fuck the English people eat. This is, this is my deconstructed bangers and mash. <laughs> is it possible to deconstruct bangers and mash? Charlie, can, Charlie thinks so. Yeah, I don't know, but yeah, that, I I agree with Ben. Like he yeah, he, he will have a... sophisticated stuff. You know what? You're right. I'd rather have Deli Alley's like cereal and toast with beans on it, I guess, and uh, versus like yeah, Charlie Kane's idea of what like <laughs> you know a deconstructed like meat pie tastes like. Right. Yeah, he'd hand, he'd hand you a raw potato and tell you it was deconstructed mash and. <laughs> And like a cow. <laughs> like yeah, not interested. <laughs> I'll take Deli's mushy peas. Just any day of the week. Yeah. yeah. His, his pay wet? Is, or, or is, yeah. <laughs> or is yep. he not Smack from far north enough to. Pay wet. <laughs> Smack farm pay wet. Yeah. Is, is, is Eric Dyer Smack farm in this equation or are we. Sure. Okay. Um. Speaking of, Aaron LaPlante, LaPlante uh, wants to know, will the dormant dire Delhi dalliance survive Delhi going Tyneside? I would say no. I don't think it's surviving Delhi being on the bench, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, they, they seem to have grown apart, really. Um, you know, and Eric's been trying out new haircuts, which I think to me is a, is a big sign of a breakup. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, <coughs> I don't know. I think Delhi's just moved on. And uh... I think their bromance hit the skids when Dyer fell out of the team and Delhi was like a rising star and Delhi got too big for his, his boy Eric. And now that the tables have turned, Delhi can't handle it. And now it. that now that Delhi's getting Rick and Morty and Family Guy tattoos, like 
Dyer's like not there to stop him. Yeah, I mean, surely if he had anybody in his life like Dyer who loved him, he would have said that was a bad idea. <laughs> well, I don't think either of them are too big for the other right now. I think they're one is just playing more. I think they're both like the same level. Um, Dyer's just, you know, actually in the team every once in a while. I, that's big. And, you know, I think especially after Delhi turned his back on Dyer when Dyer went out of the team, you know, I think now Delhi is, is begging for Dyer to take him back and he doesn't want any part of this has been. So they're not going to reconcile until they're both playing in MLS, right? That's right. <laughs> Inter Miami is going to be so much fun. <laughs> Uh, Tom Wedge wants to know how much would Brett Rainbow offer Hugo per week to stay? Uh, I don't know if Brett Rainbow has a particular uh, inclination towards towards Hugo. If anything, I would imagine he probably thinks uh, you know Hugo should leave and we should sign some like Bundesliga keeper at like Cologne or something with who has good stats. I I, I don't know. Um, does Hugo have like an affinity for vegetarian food? Is that why or vegan food? Is that is that why we think this might happen? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Brett Rainbow and Hugo Lloris, what what their dalliance looks like. I don't know why he has a particular affinity for our goalkeeper. Maybe they're connected on LinkedIn. Maybe, maybe they are connected on LinkedIn. Maybe they both like spaghetti. Yeah, they could. Like they could spaghetti. I mean, they are two two born leaders, and I think <laughs> you know that's one thing they certainly have in common. Really Hugo into the, Australian basketball. <laughs> Hugo is the, is the backbone of, of Tottenham Hotspur, and Brett Rainbow is the backbone of this podcast. I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> I think that's it, fellas. I'm looking at these questions. Awkward silence. I think, I think that's it. Um, I'll get one in from Willie. Uh, this one's for you, Ben. Uh, with the latest reveal of Tom Holland as a Spurs supporter, Please construct a celebrity supporters eleven. He thinks a celebrity supporters eleven. He just knows you would love this question. You know, what position I mean, is John Cena playing in this eleven? Uh, oh man, sweeper because you'll never see him coming, I guess. Or a d- defensive enforcer because so, you wouldn't see him coming until it's too late. Yeah, he's definitely he's definitely our our DM. I know. I mean, this is a much better version of this question than like what's our Avengers lineup from the Tottenham squad. That question could go in the fucking toilet. No, well, that's a good question. If your entire personality isn't built on Succession, Ben, come on. Instead, it's built on Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Much well, more it's the same thing. It's a t- tomato, tomato. Yeah. If Tom Wamsgans was a fan <laughs> of Tottenham Hotspur, I'd have a. A much more exciting time with the recent developments in in our off-field uh, crossover nonsense. I guess my question with the Tom Holland thing is, surely people knew that before two weeks ago? Apparently not. Like, I agree with you. Like, you think it just would, like, be casually mentioned somewhere that, like, oh, he's a Spurs fan. Like, like every British person's Wikipedia, like, every male British person's Wikipedia has, like, hey, support. You know, so and so. Usually, it's Manchester United. Um, but you know, like how how did he he was in what, how many Marvel movies? Five Marvel movies, and no one was like, "Hey, do you like soccer?" In any of the interviews that they did with him, well, I, my, not a thing. He was just like, "No, I don't like soccer. I'm not going to tell you." Like, what? 
I don't know. And, like, all of a sudden, he's, like, super into being a Spurs fan. Like, he's he's asking Mbappe to come to Tottenham. He's talking about it and all these. I mean, I guess it caught fire when yeah. it, like, Which got is really humiliating. Why would you do that? Why why would you do that, Tom Holland? <laughs> yeah, and also, why would why would they? No, 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 wait, wait, wait. Like, it's method acting. He's, he's playing Peter Parker, who's a long-suffering, you know, guy who has the world dumped on him. So he's a Spurs fan. It's method acting. Come on. Not in these movies. <laughs> He's a fucking boy toy of a tech billionaire with no problems whatsoever. And well, Ben, if you if you watch all the way really to the end credits of uh of uh Far From Home, you would know that I, I actually have to think about what the last movie was called. But yeah, I don't know. I, what other Spurs support is Jude Law? Uh, I'm trying to think what other famous Spurs supporters. There uh, yeah, we got Jude Law, Phil Collins, really, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh. That's a good one. We definitely don't have uh, Osama Bin Laden, so that's good. We've got Ron Weasley. We've got Adele. I mean, there's Adele, a yeah. right there. Ron Weasley's the Spurs keeper. Yeah. I feel like Kenneth Bronner. He's a keeper, a keeper for Gryffindor, so. Yeah, why not? <laughs> well, soccer is a game with rules, unlike Quidditch, which has no rules that make any sense, so. Much like the offside rule. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't know. I feel like there's got to be other noteworthy Spurs. Uh, does uh, Adam Richmond make this list? Does he count? Uh, Finn Balor. Finn Balor, you're right. You're right. I've seen him in his Spurs jersey. Uh, AJ Tracy. Hmm? You could actually create a decent Spurs 11 out of this. I'm kind of surprised. Chaz and Dave, obviously. Chaz and Dave. Are they the center back pairing? Yeah, yeah they're either like your big man, little man, strike force, <laughs> or your center back pairing, yeah. I mean, one of them's not alive anymore, so that could be a problem. So, Steve Nash is our playmaker, obviously. Oh, obviously, oh, yeah. obviously. So, what's Adele? Where's Adele in all this? She can do the national anthem. Do they do the national anthem? They, no. She do "God Save the Queen" before. Do they no, do that? They don't do that. <laughs> Probably for the best. It's all just pageantry and imperialistic bullshit. I think Adele is our is our tricky winger. She's deceptively deceptively quick. Yeah. Sure. Why not? <laughs> so where's where's Tom Holland? Out. Where's Tom Holland in this? Uh, is he the is he in He's the, Aaron, the bench? Is he the He's Aaron the Lennon? Harry Wicks. Is he in the Tom Aaron Holland. Lennon role? Like the tiny little guy who runs up and down the wing? No, he's in the Harry Wicks role on the bench. Yeah, Fuck that guy. <laughs> Strong Spider Man. Yeah, man, man, you're a big Andrew Garfield fan. Who knew? <laughs> Yeah, Andrew Garfield is like at least a real actor who's like makes movies. Is he? Who just happened to be Spider Man? Is yeah. he? I don't. What, what the fuck is Tom Holland? I don't know. I don't know. I, Andrew, I Garfield's, Andrew Garfield's in a Lin Manuel Miranda movie, man. Pick your pick your fighter. Come on. No, Andrew Garfield's a good dude. Is he? Is he? Yes. Yes. He is, is he? very very. Yes, he's very critical of the moral morass of Hollywood. Um... He's a he's an upstanding gentleman, and uh, Under the Silver Lake, great film. He's great. Um, the less said about his Doctor Who appearance, the better. But oh no, no, we're gonna <laughs> talk all about his Doctor Who appearance, where he's a man pig in 1930s New York. Yeah, this I don't know. So I don't know. Is Andrew Garfield his first fan? Could, could we could we get him instead? I'd take that in a heartbeat. Yeah, let's make that trade. Let's see. No, no, we are not trading for Andrew Garfield and his steadily receding hairline. Man, I trade for Tobey Maguire. I trade for any Spider-Man. 
over Tom Holland. <laughs> we could trade for Miles Morales. How's that? So definitely. I, I don't know who played Miles Morales in that movie. So. Yep. In any I mean, case, <laughs> do you have, do you have some more Spider Man hot takes, Ben? You want you want to get in? Tom Holland's only valuable contribution to pop culture is the time he did the lip sync to Rihanna's Umbrella on that stupid TV show. He was in a full full song and dance routine. He was in Lost City of Z. That's a good movie. I'm sorry you're not a film buff, Ben. Sorry, sorry, we're (laughs) veering outside of your area of expertise. I'm sure Tom Holland really anchored that film. He's going to ruin the Uncharted franchise. I think that one was ruined before he got there, but okay. Yeah. Yeah, choosing a video game movie is a bad look. So, I mean, he was already in Marvel movies, so. Yeah, but even then. Kind of his thing. Even then. Like, if Marvel movies are Georgia, like, video game movies are, like, Key West. Like, they're not even Florida. They're They're way down there. I mean, his main contribution to pop culture, I think, is dating Zendaya, but I think that's about it. No, his main contribution to pop culture is being the only Spider-Man to actually affect a Queen's accent, so, like, kudos to you, but... True. In any case, it is time to end uh, Andrew Garfield Dealer Radio. (laughs) Ben, where can people find you talking about the uh, standing for The Amazing Spider-Man and The Amazing Spider-Man 2 starring Andrew Garfield? Yeah, I mean, it's not enough that this fucking swallowed all of media. It's now taking over my fucking soccer team. Like, I don't need this. I don't need any more Disney nonsense in my life. Like, get it away from me. So you can find me complaining about that on Twitter, at Comrade Eusper. Don't worry, it's just that that he's complaining about. So, Brian, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find me on Twitter talking about uh, the inferiority of Andrew Garfield at Skipjack0079. Don't forget to follow our podcast at WDR Podcast. For Ben, for Brian, for Brett Rainbow, and of course for not Andrew Garfield's everywhere, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.